1 Corinthians 13. 11.37. Thank you, brother. I um, was just curious. I was here about a month ago. Does anyone recall what I preached on? Do you know, do you know? Jesus. <laughs> no, it was sin and Jesus. But no, I, I preached a message on the upper half of the Lord's Prayer. And I opened up with reminding you from 1 Corinthians 13 about the responsibility that you have as a congregation, regardless of what season you're in, but particularly in a season of transition, that you have a responsibility to love one another well. 1 Corinthians 13 is all about love. And so it's kind of like a GI doctor, you know. What do they say to you? Here, why don't you try out this new diet and come back. Check in with me in a month. Or a physical therapist would say, hey, I want you to work on some of these exercises and uh, come back to me in a month and let's check in and see how you're doing. So I want to come back to the same text in 1 Corinthians 13 as a little bit of a checkup. How, how are you doing? Uh, are, are you loving one another? Are you loving one another? Well, I didn't say, do you like one another? <laughs> uh, but do you, do you love one another? Uh, but sincerely, I mean, maybe it's not just within this context with your family. Um, are you loving the annoying people, the demanding spouse or child? Are, are, are you loving your needy neighbor? Uh, when you see them call or text, you roll your eyes. Are you, are, are you loving well? It's not something that we do without God's help. So I'm going to pray here in a moment for God's help, but I just want to set up a little bit of a, of a context for us. Because, and by the way, some of, you, some of you haven't tried to do that. Some of you haven't tried to love well, and one of the reasons is, is because you're not in context of relationship. You, you're avoiding people, and I just want to encourage you this morning that you're not going to understand, you're not going to taste and experience love unless you give it. And even last week, as uh, one of your pastors, Stephen, reminded you that grace is that same way. It is something that we, that we give and receive. And so with, with love, you, you have to be in, in relationship. You have to be in contact with, with people. And it can be messy. And uh, it's hard to love people, but uh, we're called to do that and to be in relationship. Now, let me just set up a little bit of the context. Why would they, uh, the people there in the city of Corinth, the church in Corinth, need to love one another? Well, it's, if for any reason, because Jesus said that's one of the distinguishing marks, if not the distinguishing mark of the church. Your church will be known by its programs, its, its, its preference for music, its personalities. Uh, God forbid in my church the preaching. Uh, it's known by what? What is it known by? What is your church known by? Well, Jesus says the church ought to be known by its love. That's how they'll know that you are my disciples, the Lord Jesus said. Now, there were other things, too, because the church in Corinth had faced some divisions and some people's allegiances were being squared away in factions. And he's telling them, hey, listen, by the way, you think you're really great because you use your gifts this way. But at the end of chapter 12, and the same thing picks back up in chapter 14, and that's where we, we find ourselves sandwiched between that is that you need to remember that love is manifest in a particular way. And at the end of chapter 12, the Apostle Paul says, I want to show you a more excellent way, a more excellent way to love. Now, that's where we pick up. And by the way, let's define our terms just a little bit because we, you know, as Americans, you know, 
in our in our in our language, we don't really understand uh, love. We don't have a complexity of words, but Greek did. And the love that's in view here is not uh, a brotherly love. Uh, you know, a phileo love, as the Greek would say. Uh, it's it's not the love that you would experience between friends. It's not the love that you would experience between lovers. The eros love, romantic love. This is an agape love. It is a sacrificial love. John Stott puts it well. He says that agape love is a servant love. It's a servant of our will, not a victim of our emotion. Let me read that again. Agape love is a servant of our will, not a victim of our emotion. (laughs) Well, it's kind of hard, you know, because in a way we describe love, it sounds like a pothole you just fell into. You know, we talk about love like it's, you know, it's like, I don't know what overcame me. Uh, as if we roll down a cliff. But, but love here is not something that we fall into. It's something that we choose, we pursue. It's an act of the will. I'm going to begin in verse 4, 1 Corinthians 13. Hear this. This is the word of God. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. It's God's word. Would you pray with me? Because we need God's help. We do, Lord. Father, we need your help right now. And we ask that you would uh, send your Holy Spirit to illuminate your word. And we might appreciate it. That we might, we might apply it. Help us. For we cry, in the name of Jesus, amen. One summer, we've lived here for five or six years, my family, and uh, we live in Pembroke, uh, behind the Dairy Twist, you know, the, the pink truck, uh, down on 53. Some of you have probably frequented that place. And uh, one summer in the town square, they'd set up a, a small traveling circus. It was a tent, you know, like a tent circus. And my kids really insisted that they wanted to go. And, and I wasn't too keen on spending the money, but the grandparents were in town. And, um, and so, so we got to go to the circus, and we got there, and uh, it was really cool. It was impressive. And, uh, and my kids really wanted to ride the elephant, which I found out halfway up the elephant that it cost a lot of money to ride the elephant. And we, we rode the elephant, and we got done with the circus. It was a lot of fun. And I turned around to my kids and said, please tell me, what, you know, what was your favorite part? And, of course, I was hoping they would say, the elephant ride, Daddy, that you spent so much money on. Uh, my, one of my boys, um, at the time, he was five, and I, he said, Daddy, it was the girls. I said, what? He said, yeah, it was the girls. I said, what are you talking about, Josiah? He says, well, it was the girls, the ones that were, they were slinging around from the trapeze uh, together there. And I said, yeah, that was pretty interesting. It was pretty amazing. You know, they were you know, suspended in the air. I, I said, what do you think held them up there? You know, was it uh, fear of life? You know, was it, you know, uh, was it sheer entertainment? Was it their own best interest or feelings they had for one another? And I said, did you happen to notice that they had straps? That, that's what held them. Oh, wow. It, were these, it was the straps that held them uh, together as they were suspended there. Now, I highlight that to say that what is it? Because elsewhere, what is it that binds us together. Because elsewhere, you know, the, the Apostle Paul in the book of Colossians, in the letter that he writes to them, he says that it's, it's, it's a unity, but he says it's perfect love which binds them all together. 
And so it's, it's love, but it's, it's the love that's expressed in the gospel. The gospel here is the fact that God loves us with not just feeling or affection, but with verbs. That God loves us with hands, with heart. That God loves us in the person and work of Jesus, the incarnation. Romans 5, while we were still sinners, Christ demonstrated his love towards us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's, that's love. That's, in God's economy, the gospel that unites us. But if we don't love in a gospel-centered way, in a God-centered way, in a self-centered way, then we look at people and we say, why do I love them? You know, why, why do I show deference and patience and serve them in love? Uh, well, you know, they make me feel better about myself. Or they, they, maybe they serve some kind of purpose. Or, you know, maybe, they, uh, you know, maybe there's something that, that I benefit by loving them. And maybe they're just lovely people. And many of you are, by the way. But that's, that's not agape, the love that's being described and commended to us here. No, we love, if we love God too, if we love one another well like this, if we do, it's because of the love of God. Why do we love God? Well, we love God because he first loved us. That's the gospel, and that's part of what binds us together and empowers us to love other people uh, when it's difficult. And it's, it, it, it is difficult to love people, people that you are closest to. When is it that we find it most difficult to love? Well, it's not just when people are difficult to love, as if it was their problem. No, we find it difficult to love when we lose hope and we stop believing now, I just want to I, I drill down on verse 7 because I think there's two. There's four affirmations here, but just two that I want to highlight. And it's this. Love hopes all things. In my translation, in yours, I think it says it, it always hopes and it always loves. And that, that's, a, that's a proper rendering. You know, that it, it, it sustains. It, it always does these things. If you're taking notes, I, I have just two headings. That's how I want to kind of break this down. And the first heading is our default, and the second is God's design. Because our default, and I said this a month ago, so we're checking in, our default is to assume the worst. But God's design is that we would instead hope the best. Okay? So let's, let's just drill down here for a moment about uh, our, our default. You know, I, I heard a comedian uh, one time uh, talking about, you know, this, this phrase that's become extremely popular. It is what it is, you know. And the comedian said, you know, when anyone utters that phrase, you're about to be taken advantage of. Someone's about to manipulate you, you know. It's like, hey, you know, we, we're here at the hotel, and I, I thought the room was supposed to have air conditioning. It is what it is, right? And uh, the comedian was, uh, you know, saying other statements like, you know, uh, when, whenever you say, hey, I thought this wasn't going to take very long. It is what it is. And so we, we develop a little bit of a... I don't know, a, a posture that says, I'm going to be careful. You know, I'm, I'm not going to be taken advantage of. And you know what it's like to be taken? It drives you crazy. And so we, we, we think that it is more desirable to say, you know what? Call me stupid, right? Or, or call me stubborn, but don't you dare call me gullible. Because I'm going to be very careful. And, and I, 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 I just need to highlight this. Friends, Brothers, sisters, uh, cynicism and love don't mix well. They don't mix well because love drives them out. Jesus drives it out. 
No, I know you might say, but I'm not a cynical person. I'm not a pessimist. Uh, you know, I'm, 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 I'm a realist, right? I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a realist. I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not a pessimist. And, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm, not, uh, I'm not a naive optimist. I'm a realist. I'm balanced. Everyone can say that, right? It's easy to say I'm balanced because there's never a problem in finding in comparison to other people someone that's at one extreme or the other. See, look at me. I'm balanced. <laughs> I'm right here in the middle. But friends, I, I, I just want to commend to you that we don't need to be comparing ourselves with others. It, we need to have God. Not, other people aren't the reference point when it comes to love. God is the reference point. That's where we need to focus our attention on our Creator. Now, don't get me, you know, don't be, I don't want to be mistaken here. We do believe in discernment. But to, to discern is to begin with the trust and hope in God who knows all things and who cares for us. And uh, we don't need to be confused. It doesn't mean that we trust anything and everyone in every circumstance. But as followers of Christ who are wise and discerning, oftentimes we are getting off track when we lack love and we assume something. I know why she didn't tell me that. I know why he didn't invite me. Oh, I know exactly what they mean by that text. We've all uttered phrases like that, haven't we? Sometimes, sadly enough, we think and we assume that we know the motives behind what people say or what people do. And then, if we're honestly suspicious, we think that their motives are just as warped as ours would be, right? Now, I'm going to go through a list. This is a, this is a little bit long, so just stick with me. But I think it illustrates the point, and you might even hear yourself in here. But Kevin DeYoung, an author and a pastor, puts this so well. I want to read through these. Don't assume you know all the facts after hearing one side of the story. Now, when I do, <laughs> whenever I do marriage counseling, I always know that there's three sides to the story, right? There's his side, her side, and there's this other thing called the truth, right? Um, now, so, so assumptions, right? Now, let's just go through the list here. Sorry, a little, little diversion. Don't assume the person is guilty just because strong charges are made against them. Don't assume you'd be a better mom or dad. Don't assume the single mom isn't following Jesus. Don't assume bad kids are the result of bad parents. Don't assume your parents are clueless, young people. Don't assume everyone should drop everything and attend to your needs. And don't assume that no one will. Don't assume that rich people are ungenerous. Don't assume that poor people are lazy. Don't assume you should read between the lines. Don't assume that you've interpreted the emotions of an email correctly. Don't assume they meant to leave you off the list. Don't assume everyone else has a charmed life. Don't assume a bad day makes a bad friend. Don't assume the repentance isn't genuine. Don't assume the forgiveness isn't sincere. Don't assume God can't change you. Don't assume God can't love you. Don't assume God can't love them. But why do we do it? Why do we assume? And assume the worst? Because we can size people up. We can judge them to be just a little bit less than us. And it provides us, you know, kind of a relative comparison that makes us feel and look a little more favorable, right? And it gets us into trouble. Let me give you an example. I, I went to school in, in, uh, in the south, 
no surprise to any of you as you have to listen to this Southern Presbyterian. But uh, I went to a school called Furman. That's where Mark Jennings went to school, but don't hold that against me. Um, the, this, the school where I went to, uh, around the men's dormitory, there were uh, a lot of prize. There were not a lot. There were a few prized parking spots, okay? And all around the periphery of the, uh, the dorms there, there were these few spots. And the rich kids at school, and there were a bunch of them, they didn't really care if they got tickets. And you'd see, like, little layers. They would just stay there and stay there and park there and get these little yellow little envelopes that were on the, uh, the windshield. I used to drive around sometimes, you know, when I was in a hurry and had to go upstairs to my dorm. And get, I would drive around, you know, three or four times. It was a one-way uh, loop trying to find one of those prized parking spots. And one day I was just in a rage, uh, all, all, all in a tizzy. So I get up there and I notice, hey, there's Justin's car. And it's parked in the handicap spot. Now, I know Justin, and I do not like Justin. Justin is presumptuous and arrogant, and he's a part of definitely the wrong fraternity. And I couldn't stand this guy, Justin. And so I noticed, though, on the windshield, there's not a yellow ticket. Instead, inside the windshield, there's this little car that is a handicap pass. And it's kind of broken, and it's all, like, taped together with something, and it's just sitting there on the dash. And I noticed out of the corner of my eye that the window of his car was open. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. I grabbed that pass, and you know what I did? I tore it in half. And then you know what I did? I put it in two different trash cans. I was so, I was so upset. Spring rolls around, and I'm sitting in a dorm room, and uh, Justin walks in with shorts on. And I notice out of my eye that he has this deformed leg. And he's starting to tell some of the guys in the room about how he has a debilitating skin condition and a problem in his leg. Gosh. I mean, I, I hated that day that my default was to assume the worst. My heart sank. I wish I could say I went and apologized to him, but I wasn't courageous enough. If I see him someday, maybe, I, maybe I'll just get on Facebook this afternoon and just send him a message. <laughs> oh, great. Oh. oh, man. That's what love would do. Yes. God's love, my friends, calls us away from suspicion and cynicism to something else, to something better. So let's move to that second heading, God's design. God's design is to hope the best. God's design is love hopes all things. Uh, What is hope, by the way? Well, it's patience. It's anticipation that things can change. And where do we see this manifest? Well, our hope is not anchored to circumstances and people Our hope is not anchored to hope, you know, just hope against hope. Our hope is in love. Our hope is in God who genuinely, sovereignly controls all things. And when I'm angry or when you and I are discouraged or we feel in some way threatened, we can believe and trust in him who cares for us. 
A familiar passage, Proverbs 3, many of you may have memorized it. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all of your ways acknowledge Him that He would make your path straight or or smooth or at peace, but it will not be, your path will not be that way if you don't assume. If you assume the worst and do not hope all things. I said it last time, but we assume when we don't know all the facts and we fill in the gaps and sometimes it's to our detriment and we lack judgment and we lack love. A love that hopes all things does not give up. It's not, like I said, some kind of vague optimism. No, it's, I heard one person put it so well. To hope all things is a realistic appraisal of things that refuses to take failure as final. And you've known it and you've experienced it from people, friends, from people that you have let down, friends that you have burned, and they come to you. You have failed them, but they don't treat you like that failure is the final word. It's a love that hangs on. God's love looks down with love and hope towards us because God knows us. He knows us through and through. He knows our past. He knows where we are going. He knows we're going if we are a forgiven son and daughter of the Most High God. And I love it that the Gospels just illustrate this story so well, time and time again. And just one example of this would be at the close of the Gospel of John in chapter 21. Who do we know really let Jesus down? All of his disciples, but Peter, it's so punctuated. Three times he denied the Lord. And then in John 21, it says this, that Jesus was on the shore, the resurrected Savior, and he calls out to Peter and he says, Peter, yeah, you, Peter, I want to have breakfast. Come with me. Peter, do you love me? Yeah, yes, I do. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I do. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Feed my sheep. By the way, I just wanted to give you three opportunities to convey what I know about you and you can know from me to you. I love you. What's Jesus saying at that point? Failure is never final where love exists. Have you given up on someone? Have you given up any hope that there would be any reconciliation or restoration? When did you think that that was okay? When did you think that that was... And why did you think that that was legitimate? We forget ourselves, don't we? The state of our own hearts and life and priorities before the Lord. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes there, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, having no hope and without God in the world. But, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's the gospel, the good news. The gospel here is the fact that God is love. God, as I mentioned earlier, came with action, verb, sacrifice, hands, heart, his life. Friends, if you are in Christ, God loves you. You. Do you get tired of hearing that? I hope not. God loves you. 
Leon Morris, a New Testament uh, scholar, writes this. This love of God is a love for the utterly unworthy. It is a love which proceeds from a God who himself is love. It is a love lavished on others without a thought of whether they are worthy to receive it or not. It proceeds rather from the nature of the lover than from any merit in the beloved. What is that merit then upon which God can love you and me? It's the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. A few things just by way of application. Uh, Three questions. Three questions for you today. First of all, Ask yourself this, do I, do I know the love of God? Do I, do I really know that? In a way that has freed me from guilt? In a way that has begun to transform me? Do I know the, do I know the vertical love of God that has enabled me to express that horizontally? If the answer is no, if you're honest, perhaps, then today is the day of salvation. Repent and embrace the offer, the free offer of the gospel. Come to Jesus and experience an unconditional love built on the merit of Jesus, not you. The second question that you might need to ask yourself today is this. Do I need to apologize to someone for my lack of love? If this week that you come to that conclusion, yes, then in fact there is, then I would, I would say humbly, boldly go and seek that person or persons out. You know why? Because next week, you all are coming to the Lord's table. And Jesus makes it clear, very evident in Matthew 5. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there you remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother. Then, then come and offer your gift. Well, you're going to need God's help to do that. Here's the last question. Does God's love control and compel me? 2 Corinthians 5 says that Christ's love compels us. It controls us so that we would be ambassadors. And so, I mean... You've got a sweet opportunity in two weeks. A fantastic opportunity to broaden your horizon at the missions conference. But you're not going to lay hold of any vision or, or any, anything that's commended to you that day or that weekend or that week at the missions conference if Christ's love isn't compelling you. So pray. Pray, Lord, would you even now press in on me reminders of your love and enable me, empower me, with, with more love in my heart so that I can answer whatever call, whatever application you would have for me stemming out of that missions conference. That's all I've got to say about that. And I'm glad I didn't stumble into a sermon on Daniel because that's what I've got to go do after this. Um, and uh, so I'm, unfortunately I won't be able to greet some of you after the service as much as I would really enjoy uh, doing that. Thank you. Would you pray with me right now? Close with me. And this is a prayer that I've borrowed. Jesus, you know everything that we are not. Jesus, you are pure love. And we are only the loveless sinner that you always knew we would be. But in your perfect love, we pray that you would forgive us of our 
hateful sins, would you teach our loveless hearts to love in a way that you love? Father, I know that uh, many people here love you, and I know that many people here love one another. I pray that you would increase that love. And may your spirit be pleased to work in our hearts, not only new hope, and not only new faith, but new love, so that it would touch someone's relationship or relationships here, be it in their family or their marriage or their neighbors or their co-workers or a person sitting on the other side of the sanctuary. Lord, we pray all this not because of our own emotion or effort, but because of the love of Jesus we can plead with confidence. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.